0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer who six months ago walked away. When I arrive, he treats me like commodity. Back on his interconnect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're going to lose. This
0: guy singing that old don't know value.
1: Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value is the only reason any company exists and not enough companies pay attention to what value they add, how they add it. Uh, or what they should do to increase the value add. Today, I am thrilled to have Tom Williams. Uh, he's a repeat guest. Uh, we had a great conversation a while back and I wanted to bring Tom back. Uh, he is the author of two books, The Seller's Challenge and Buyer-Centered Selling. Welcome, Tom. Well,
0: thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your, your podcast again.
1: Yeah, well, you've been a mentor and, and um, a thought leader to me. As a matter of fact, um, I actually asked Tom for his permission to to kind of replicate one of the things from his buyer-centered selling book uh, on today's topic, purchasing or procurement. Tom, welcome.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Why
1: don't you give us a, a quick background of your experience and so people kind of get an idea of not only your experience as a sales consultant, which you've been uh, since I've known you, but before that, you were in charge of procurement and purchasing functions as well as everything as the CEO. So, uh, sh- share with us the the kind of your brief background and how you come to this topic.
0: Sure. So, Mark, I I come from the I come from a couple of different avenues. One, you know, I was fortunate enough right after college to get into a a, a sales and marketing role. Uh, working for a medical device manufacturer and that really is what whet my appetite uh, toward wanting to be you know involved in sales and so early early on and in, in mid-career all i did was work with uh procurement you know in in a variety of sales situations uh you know working with them as well as, as working around them to be honest with you and candid with you and your listeners uh, and then i had an opportunity to go to work for one of my customers and actually became a hospital CEO and, uh, and, and spent about three years of my life in that role where I managed procurement. So, and then I had, after that, I started a medical services business where procurement was a key function within our organization uh, and I managed that function. So I've really seen procurement from two, two sides of the coin. One is your traditional sales professional going in and having to deal with procurement in some fit form or fashion. And secondly, you know, managing that function and 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 how it's positioned within a, an organization.
1: Boy, that's it's one of the biggest mysteries on how to deal with procurement prof, uh, professionally and and effectively. So, uh, do you have any you know like high level thoughts about what procurement is there to do and why they exist and how sometimes that big mission gets twisted a little bit
0: sure let me try to attack this in a, in a variety of different ways uh mark you know first and foremost you know procurement is a function let me take the word procurement oftentimes you'll hear the word strategic sourcing procurement and purchasing and let's just for the sake of today let's just kind of use it as a generic word you know, to mean the, the procurement of, or the purchase of your product, service, or solution by an organization. And, and if you think about it from that perspective, you know, the, the first and foremost thing that matters is that from a procurement point of view, is they they are undergoing a metamorphosis within their organization. And what I mean by that is in some organizations, procurement has a tremendous amount of power. And, and if you don't start as a sales rep, if you don't start with that particular individual, you're not going to get in contact with anyone else within the organization. They are the be all, the end all, and they control the entire process of getting to uh, the various stakeholders that every sales professional needs to talk to in order to sell their product or service or solution. In other organizations, procurement is simply a purchasing function. They process the, the PO. So, you know, my advice always to salespeople is first and foremost is get a better, get an understanding of who are you talking to and what's their role and function. Because obviously if you, if you can get to a stakeholder within the organization that has the power and the authority to issue a purchase order and make a decision on your behalf, take it, let take the order, let procurement simply process the purchase order. In other cases, you're going to be forced to start with and start with procurement, And there it helps to have a deep and rich understanding of what is their role and function? Why is their role and function, you know, viewed so importantly within the organization? And then what are the types of things that, you know, that they measure and look at and how do you, you, how can you best effectively understand how to work the the most effective and efficient way with them to achieve your, your end goal?
1: That extremely valuable advice uh, that there, that there is not one, model purchasing business model uh they they pursue a bunch of different business models within different companies uh even sometimes within the same company and it's different perhaps with different products or services Um, you and i have kind of talked about the kralik matrix and how important it is to understand how purchasing views you
0: you're absolutely correct mark If if it's okay with you i'll kind of walk your listeners through through what that matrix is, because Please. I think this is the this is a key, key aspect of if you're forced to work with procurement to better understand as a sales professional how are they viewing your product or service or solution within their organization. So here's a simple and easy way to, to look at that. And we we cover this in our in our book, The Seller's Challenge. You know, frenem, it's, it's actually the last chapter of the book is called Frenemies, Partnering with Procurement. And in the in the chapter there's a there's a matrix we call it acrylic matrix, and it's actually been modified by Tom Sain and myself. Tom was the co-author of the book. And here's an easy way to look at this. If you would draw, take a eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper, and draw a large square in the middle of the of the piece of paper. And then within that square, I want you to draw a horizontal line so that you have in essence four equal boxes. On the on the underneath. now that you've got that underneath underneath the matrix or underneath the boxes, and the hor underneath that horizontal line at the bottom, of the bo- bottom box, I want you to to write in the word supply risk, and put the word low on the on the left hand side of that, and and high on the far right hand side. So vertical
1: so yeah I'm, I'm interrupting. So we're drawing a two by two matrix. Yep. And one dimension is supply risk. And so that's going along the bottom. And then up the side.
0: Up on the side is the impact on financial results. And again, it'll be low, low to high, low on the, on the bottom, bottom lower left-hand corner and high at the, up at the top. So now what we can do is we can fill in the four boxes. So if you're in the lower left-hand corner, what you are is you have a, the, the, the company you're selling to views your product or service as a low supply risk. In other words, there's a lot of vendors out there that can provide that product service or solution to them. And it has a low impact on their financial results. So they call that a routine item. And the strategy they use is to give you a contract blanket or PO, but they they choose you as a vendor based on, on the lowest price, the best terms and the best conditions. All right, if you go right above that box to Above it, it's what we call a leverage item. Now, in this in this particular box or quadrant, with the, what the, the supplier or the, the buyer that you, you're dealing with views you as, again, a very low supply risk, but now they see a high impact on their financial results if they can drive your price down. So there's what you see is competitive. This is where competitive bidding comes in. This is where RFPs come in and reverse auctions come in. So this entire left-hand side of the, of the matrix is really a pricing strategy on behalf of the procurement professionals to drive down your price. Now, let's look at the right-hand side. In the lower right-hand corner, that's where we, we call that bottleneck items. And that means, and what we mean by that is, is that there the company that you're trying to sell your product or service to, they're purchasing or procurement people view that they have a high supply risk because there's very few vendors like you that provide your product or service. So they need an assured supply in, and their goal is, is to get that assured supply whatever way they can from you. So it might ask you to, you know, to guarantee inventory. You know, they might ask you to guarantee a certain up, amount of uptime uh, with, between your various factories. Uh, they might want to want to hold inventory themselves, but the point the point of the whole thing is that you have some pricing leverage there because you are providing a true value that is recognized by them and what they want to pursue it
1: yeah i 'm going to cut in an example of this if i 'm if I get you right might be face masks to a hospital they 're a low cost item, but if they didn 't have face masks this year. There is a whole raft of revenue that they couldn't generate. They couldn't talk to a patient, and so, in spite of you know, for the want of a fifteen cent mask, they couldn't bill a two hundred fifty dollar or you know, two thousand dollar or fifty thousand dollar surgery. Yeah, that's a great right. That doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, it's a great example, Mark. And, And and again, when you're in that lower quadrant, you know, there's there's not a lot of suppliers that can that can go and provide. What they need when they need it, but keep in mind in this quadrant, your prices—you still have to be price competitive because they're going to look for alternatives, right? Because they need to have that assured supply, so they'll play—they'll play games with you, uh, in terms around price, but you know, but you have some leverage at that point. Now, if you go to the upper right, upper right-hand corner, that's where salespeople have what we call a value strategy. You know, a, a much more value—a value strategy because It's a strategic item. You know, in this case, you are providing some type of product or service that's usually some type of disruptive technology or some type of patented patented technology that oftentimes is a key component within one of their products that they manufacture. So they need that product or service desperately in order to be successful. So there's where you can create a tremendous relationship with, with procurement. And typically when you hear procurement professionals say, you know, we really want to build relationships with, with, our, with our vendors or our suppliers. It's this quadrant that they're talking about. It's not the other three. You know, they might want some type of relationship in the bottleneck items. But, but while they want that relationship, they're going to be desperately looking for other sources of supply, you know, in order to not be dependent upon you. This is really the quadrant where sales professionals have an opportunity to create a relationship. And so this right side of the matrix is all about creating value, right? The left side is all about how they're going to view you in terms of pricing. Yeah. So this is a tremendously valuable, uh, matrix for salespeople to understand and understand thoroughly because it tells you immediately where you, how your product is being perceived by the organization that you're selling to.
1: Yeah. Now in my practice, we talk about uh, and talk to people who think they are on the left side where (coughs) procurement or purchasing thinks they are just like all of their competitors, but the seller doesn't. The seller believes they have some differentiation and some value that should take them at least partially out of the cloud, you know, out of that crowd, excuse me. And so it's important to understand that value and that differentiation in terms of the outcomes it gives your customer. Because purchasing doesn't care that you're the only one in green, unless green gives them some business outcome.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. You can differentiate yourself in any of the, you know, any of the boxes. If the one that's most difficult is, uh, is the leverage items in the upper left-hand corner that's really a problem that's best served by marketing and senior management within your company because the the market is saying we view you as a commodity now let me let me back off that for just a little bit and tell you you know one caveat to that you know i mentioned that there's rfps that are you know are fit into that that quadrant and the thing to be careful about with rfps is, re, is for salespeople to remember and understand that there's four different distinct types of RFPs, right? The first one is what we call a fair RFP. And this is where the RFP identifies the specifications and the requirements that are essential to the, to meet the buying organization's needs. So this is one that hasn't had any influence on outside, outside entities. This is a, a, a true understanding internally of their specifications and requirements. The second level, the second type is what we call a favorite RFP. And this is the one, Mark, you and I have been exposed to many, many times in our own personal lives and as well as with, uh, with our clients. This is where the RFP has been written or at least been influenced heavily by one of your competitors. And so they have a favored. it's what I call a favorite RFP because they have a favorite that they, they're going after. The third type of RFP is what I call a fake RFP. And this is where the buying organization is very satisfied with the products and services you're providing. But there's some type of regulation or governmental regulation or entity that says you must go out to RFP for everything over a certain dollar amount or in a certain uh, certain type of product category. And then the last one is what I call a forced RFP. And this is the one where someone within a procurement is really not playing a win-win philosophy. They're playing a win-lose. And by that I mean is they're satisfied with your product. You know, they know that the end users are satisfied with your product or service. They might even be satisfied with your product or service. But they say to you, they say to you, we're gonna put this out to RFP and the whole idea is to see if they can keep you from having a price increase or to see if they can get you to drop your price, right? So they've kind of put the, uh, the, put some fear in you that you could learn, lose this business. So that's the, that, those are the four different types of RFPs. And so again, when you're put, when you're thinking about this Kralik metrics, you have to also think about the different types of RFPs that the the buyer is going to be potentially using on you.
1: Yeah. You know, Tom, as, especially that last, that false RFP where they're satisfied, but they're just trying to figure out, a, you know, they're using an RFP as a vehicle to grind you on price. And I work with my clients and saying that anytime you hear the words, your price is too high, I want you to react as if they said your value is too low. And that kind of goes back to if you're somewhere on that left-hand column in the Kralik matrix and you have a differentiation that your purchasing person has not yet clued into, hasn't yet recognized the value of, or, Again, if you're in that one of those uh, stalking horse RFPs where you have value that purchasing hasn't acknowledged or put into their put into their calculation, um, I I'm going to push back on something you said earlier, and you know saying that that's the job of marketing or your executive team. Um, it is your job as a salesperson. If there's some value there, regardless of what your marketing te- or executive teams have done, it's your job to convert that in the customer's mind into a differentiated perception in that mind of your customer. Because the commission for waiting for marketing to do that is just not good enough to spend.
0: No, I, I think you and I are, are saying the same thing, you know, differently. What I was referring to is I think you can create differentiation in all the boxes. The most difficult place to, to create it is in the leverage items, right? Yeah, Because there, yep. there's a very, very strong perception. And oftentimes there's a very strong uh, evidence that your prices are very, very high and there's a lot of different, or at least it's perceived to be high. uh, And there's so many vendors out there that they believe they can drive down the price. So the strategy from a company point of view is you got to take cost out and you've got to make the buying experience so, so seamless and so frictionless that they perceive some type of differentiation.
1: No, I I completely agree. See, my history has always been the highest price product or service that I was selling. And so my, my life experience uh, has always been dealing with purchasing as patiently walking them through my value and helping them see it. And so I've, I've got this bias, if you will, that, that, Purchasing knows, and I've talked to a couple of purchasing executives and they're chartered to buy on total cost or total value, but especially the, the, the less experienced the purchasing agent, you know, the more junior they are in the organization up to surprisingly high levels, they know that they need to buy on value, but they aren't necessarily taught what value is and you can't expect them to know what value is for every one of the commodities they buy, what differentiation turns into a benefit for them. That's not purchasing's job. And they, quite frankly, are way too busy to intuit that for themselves. And so it's, it's our job as sales professionals to articulate that to them, Help them understand, and then help them validate our claims and our predictions of what value their company is going to achieve through some of their own resources inside their own company.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mark. I think part of it is is for the salespeople to understand how sophisticated it is the procurement department within the organization in which they're selling to. So there's going to be a big difference between a, you know procurement function and a small you know, or mid-sized company versus, you know, a company the size of Apple, for example, uh, you know, the level of sophistication is gonna be different. But the thing to keep in mind, the salespeople need to keep in mind is, is that the procurement function is growing in importance within every organization. And the reason for that is, the reason they're getting a seat at the C-suite table is because of the impact that they have on, on, on pricing the impact they have on on buying green, the impact they have on product innovation, uh, the impact they have on mitigating you know supplier risk, and so they're becoming to be they're becoming to be a force to be reckoned with, because they're um, they're now going from a tactical relationship within the organization to one that's much more strategic, um, and so you know it's important for salespeople to get a handle on and understand where, where they, their product or service fits within that organization, as well as how does procurement, how, what's the level of sophistication of procurement. But again, I, I, I wanna go back to what I, I stressed earlier. In many organizations, salespeople are told by their sales VP, don't go to procurement, just let them issue POs. And if you could, and by gosh and by golly, if you can go and, and sell your product or service in that, in that market segment, do it, take the order with the, and go to whoever stakeholder that you're normally, that has the borrower and the authority to give you the, the PO or issue the and issue, say, this is the vendor we're gonna, we're gonna buy from. By all means, do that. But you're gonna run into situations where you're gonna have to go through procurement. I've got a litany of clients but that's where they have to start, that's where they have to work from. Now, there's a third alternative as well. And that is, and it's not for everybody, but that is in some cases, you have to stand your ground and you have to say, I'm not gonna do that. You know, whatever procurement wants. And I'll give you a classic example. And I recognize I'm in a little bit different situation uh, from because of I sell consulting services and I, can, I sell training, sales training. So I'm in a little bit different uh, position than a lot of folks are. But I'll give you a classic example. You know, I had a, uh, an engagement, a large consulting agreement, uh, engagement about a year and a half ago with a client. And we'd agreed on the price. We agreed on the on the on the deliverables, agreed on the timing of when to start it, uh, and uh, this was with a senior VP of, of, of sales and the CEO, uh, and then it, I and then I was immediately told we need to get you set up as a vendor, so I'll have our somebody from procurement contact you. So procurement sent me a twenty-eight page document, wanting to know everything about number of offices we had and locations, you know our green policy. You know a number of of how we we brought product into our into our organization. They wanted to know our FDA clauses. Every I mean, it was unbelievable all the stuff they wanted. And all and Mark all good content. If you were a vendor that provided those type of of, of minor products or services within their organization, it didn't fit us at all. The second thing the procurement wanted was. Was after I filled this questionnaire out the next thing he told me is we're going to renegotiate the price because the price is too high. So I immediately explained to him that, you know, we'd already negotiated a price. 98% of this contract didn't make make any sense. It didn't apply to us. And what they really needed from us was some basic information, you know, like our, our, our EIN number, you know, and our, our, our address and things like that. And you know, he told me in those small terms, if, if I don't fill out this form and we don't renegotiate the price, we wouldn't be doing any business. So I told him, you know, I said it very nicely back to him. I said, I'll be happy to call the CEO, the VP of sales back and tell him that the deal's off. And that's what I did. And you know what? After I got the left the voice message, it was 30 minutes later, I got a call back saying, you don't need to fill out the form and the price is not gonna be changed and procurement will send you an updated revised form Within uh, within the next couple of hours, so you can push back.
1: Yeah, I, I um, you know that that's a that's a, a great story when you have leverage, and you had built <laughs> leverage with the VP of Sales and the CEO over a long period of time before purchasing came in, and they just didn't have the view, and so in good faith they were doing what they thought that they should be doing, but they didn't have the whole big picture. And that kind of leads to something that we haven't said because we keep on talking about um, the negative aspects of working with purchasing. And I, I don't want to leave without saying, remember that purchasing is becoming a more strategic in a lot of companies and they need to show their value and they need to show a strategic impact. And if you've got a differentiation or if you have the ability to make purchasing look good, to make purchasing look more strategic within their own company, that's some value you can bring to purchasing. And I didn't want, you know, we're going, we're right up on time, but I didn't want that part of the equation to go unsaid.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. The example I gave, you know, in my case was the upper right-hand corner. And you're right, I did have leverage and I did have a place where the, the top two people in the organization wanted to create a relationship. But which, one of the key ways to work effectively with procurement is to ask them how they're how they're measured, whether they're key performance indicators. And once you understand what those key performance indicators are, if you can tie your differentiation back to one of those factors and uh, metrics, you can become you, you become one of their biggest fans. So it's not all it's not always around working around procurement. It's we can you can work around them and you can work with them. And I think the message I'm trying to, to, to leave you know, your audience with is understand procurement and where they are. And, you know, and, but take the, take the order, whatever the easiest way you can, but recognize procurement, every dollar procurement saves drops straight through the bottom line. And at some point in the near future, every sales rep is going to be forced to deal with and go through procurement. We're not going to get away from that. Yeah. You know, they're too important a function yeah. and they're growing in terms of importance year over year.
1: Yeah. And so, the, you know, the lessons is procurement isn't one thing. They don't pursue one model. They don't look at us one way. And so it's just like any other job in sales. There is no canned approach. You have to approach each individual procurement relationship as the precious individual jewel that it is. And it's nice to have this, you know, the, the background to have to understand where they're coming from. But there is no substitute for figuring out how each individual relationship should work.
0: Absolutely, could agree more.
1: Yep. So, Tom, thank you so much. Uh, give people uh, a little uh, ability to, to reach out to you and to uh, take advantage of some more of your wisdom and counsel.
0: Well, Mark, I always enjoy connecting with, uh, with, with, with listeners on LinkedIn. Uh, I also, um, so just, if you want to go to send me a LinkedIn request, I'm happy to do that. Uh, accept as those, uh, they can also reach out to me by cell at 951-515-8159 If they have any questions or they want to provide some, uh, some input, uh, to this podcast, happy to, happy to, uh, have a conversation. And if they're interested in, in one or both of the books, uh, they're, the books are available on Amazon, uh, and in bookstores worldwide.
1: It's great. And uh, just because if they try to reach out to you on LinkedIn, there's going to be a lot of Tom Williams, uh, just there is only one or so Tom Williams, uh, who and you're, I mean, you're the, you're the most handsome one. Just have people pick out the most handsome one, but yeah, uh, you're, I, you're, I, in, Scott, you're in Scottsdale, Arizona. So Tom Williams in Scottsdale, Arizona, and that will get you close. And it's uh, he says, author, sales, trainee, consultant, uh, helping sales organizations increase deal velocity and win rate. So that's the Tom Williams that you definitely want.
0: Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the plug.
1: Um. Tom, thanks a lot for your time and and thanks for everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value only exists in your customer's mind, even if they're in procurement, which means that your success sits all in your customers' head. Thanks and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy, because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old don't know value blue.